He said, to the extent I desire to move through you, you must allow me to cut on you. The Leader's Cut. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Leader's Cut. And as you can see, we have a, not a guest, but <laughs> not a friend, not just a friend. We got family up with us Come today. On. You may not know him yet, but you will quickly know if you run with me, you will want to run with him because that's how family does it. We are joined today by one of my dearest friends, Todd Lane, and he is one of the best leaders I have ever been around in my life. That's not hyperbole. It's not observation. It's just fact. Okay. And you know how I roll. One of the things I love to do, I'm, I'm grateful for all of the people that God um, has surrounded me with throughout the years. And one of my favorite things is to introduce you to people that you don't even know exist. And then you get to see the spirit of the living God pour oil on them and speak to you uh, in ways you've never heard anybody else speak to you. So you're going to love hearing from Todd. We're going to talk about leadership. And one of the things that uh, to me, Todd is better at than almost anyone I've ever run with. Uh, so let's pray because I guarantee you, for those, those of us who lead, which is all of us, uh, we're going to get caught on a little bit in this episode because <laughs> he does some things that we all need to do more of, but you might have to get caught on to get there. All right. <laughs> Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being present in this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity to sit with Todd and to learn. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would pour the oil of heaven upon him right now to teach us, to lead us, to shape us to be more in your image, O oh God, as we lead following your leadership. So Lord, I pray that each of us would open up our hearts beyond anything we ever have thus far, give you complete access to every part of our lives, every part of our hearts, Lord, so that you can do whatever you want. Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you. If there's any part of our flesh that's getting in the way of your spirit moving more fully in us and through us, spirit of the living God, would you cut on us? of this next hour and change of our lives in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right, bro. <laughs> let's, let's give a little context. I don't want to assume that everybody who watches this, uh, knows your resume. So let's give them a little context. Tell okay. us a little bit about you, okay. family man, uh, <laughs> working man, all of it. I am a family man. Hey, hey everybody. Uh, glad to be with you. Uh, press, uh, thank you for being a friend for two decades. And uh, it's an honor to be uh, really watching what God's doing in you. I have to say this first because um, you are a leader who has allowed yourself to be cut on by God mm -hmm. for decades. And I've watched it firsthand. And uh, it's an honor to watch you uh, grow as a pastor and a leader and, and an honor to be here. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a husband, first and foremost, Belinda Lane. Uh, as my beautiful bride for How almost years? 28 years coming Ooh, up. Yeah. Love Met at Baylor University, Sikkim. Sikkim Bears. Uh, we're not doing too great in football right now, but that's all right. That's a different topic. Uh, there might be some leadership issues. We you got to start about paying that. players again. This is a true statement. <laughs> again, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. uh, listen, you just picked up on it. Um, yeah, I won't even go, go there. Uh, we've got three kids. Um, 
well, four. I keep saying that, but my daughter got married, so now I got a fourth kid. Love it. Uh, JD uh, is my son-in-law, married to my daughter, Olivia. Um, and then my son, Harrison, in college. And then a daughter, uh, Evelyn, who is a uh, senior in high school. So uh, we're on the cusp of being empty nesters. Empty nesters and uh, I don't really know what to think about all that, but it's going to be awesome. But I'm super proud of my kids. Uh, my view of leadership is it starts in the home first. And um, I, by no means have Blend and I done it perfectly, but I'm very proud of my kids and God's grace on all of that uh, for how they have turned out and how they're doing. So we're super proud of them. Um, <clears throat> I've got 27 years uh, of leadership uh, experience, worked in the corporate world for about seven, uh, worked for a company that took us multinational. We lived in New Zealand for a couple of years, moved around the States six different cities. And uh, that was all in about a seven year span. So we, we had the opportunity to grow. And I felt like God gave me a crash course in the corporate world for what would be 20 years uh, of ministry work that uh, every bit of what I learned in the corporate applied in ministry. And so then 20 years of uh, serving um, in uh, leadership role gateway church and uh got to go there when gateway was was small you uh you were you were one of the few <laughs> employees at the time we were uh and um you know i think you know it was a church at at the time that was seeing god move and do incredible things and yet there wasn't a lot of substance i'm talking like buildings it wasn't any of that kind of flashy right. stuff right it was just god was moving and there was anointing uh, on pastor robert the worship everything so god allowed us to come in the early days and uh, and then grew 20 years and left um, to start doing executive leadership training. I was the executive pastor for seven years. And uh, so I, in a lot of ways, I feel like what I got to do for seven years in the corporate that um, really was a crash course for the next 20 that I would do in church, I felt in a way God said, hey, the seven years that you were executive leading at this great church and great ministry, I'm setting you up for the next 20 uh, to help people uh, lead. So there's a there's a, a bit of a summary. Now, I want to say one other thing, because this has nothing to do with leadership, but has everything to do with our relationship, because you were present at one of the most pivotal moments of my life. And it's when I quit the game of golf. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> uh, I was there that day. I just have to put that put yeah. that in here because it was a significant moment in my life. And uh, and you 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 actually got to witness you had witnessed a, a complete decline and demise of my golf game all the way to the point where i i i left at the turn not yeah, fr front you quit nine. at the turn yeah <laughs> yeah and by the time i got to the car after the 18th hole you had sold your club <laughs> so so i i point that out because it was a monumental moment for us <laughs> but it was also i'd like to highlight a very decisive moment of leadership in my own life <laughs> where i decided <laughs> golf is clearly not going to work for me and i had intended actually once i sold the clubs because clearly the clubs were the problem. They were the problem. They absolutely. were the problem. It had nothing to do with my golf game. Uh, and now, I don't know, maybe some 12 years later, um, I never have picked back up the game. Yeah, you've been, you've been <laughs> I made, true to your word. Yes, I made a decision. I'm never doing this again. And I stuck with it, yes. Yeah. And our friendship navigated it well. <laughs> it we did. We're still great so friends. Somehow you still love me in your world. I love me in your world. I know. I'm shocked yeah. it happened that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, love navigates hard things. <laughs> it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, you you breeze through your resume as though we're like a piece of paper. I mean, God has, and I can say this. I know you you wouldn't, but I got a front row seat to watch mm. your growth 
you got a front row seat to watch mine, but I got a front row seat. You came in at a much higher level than I, I started at. And so it, it gave me a wonderful um, template mm. uh, because I didn't have one at that point of what, what does an older me look like? And I don't mean by years, someone who's further down the road. What does a further down the road me mm. look like in this environment? Yeah. A man of integrity, you've always been uh, a submitted man. You've always been man of strength. You've always been, it was like, I, I but you're fun, you're real. It, there was just this, amalgamation of things that as as a young man at the time i could look and go oh so this is how you pull it off and and remain yourself mm. but then i got to watch you go uh you know you and your father are two of the people from my vantage point who were most trusted by the lord to steward one of the great moves of god during mm. our lifetime mm. and yeah we got to see it in the early days pastor robert god's hand was on him from yeah. early on and was powerfully moving through him uh, before people knew his name. Um, but it took God surrounding Robert with some, some mighty men, the same way God surrounded King David. David couldn't have won the wars without his mighty men. Um, and I got a front row seat to watch God trust you, especially the last seven years, uh, steward it at its peak. And I, that's never a coincidence that that's God trusting someone. Um, and so I just want them to have context for who I'm talking to. Mm. You know, I, this is not, they know I don't do hyper hyperbole, but they have to know that you're, you're not like anybody else I know. Mm. Um, and there's nothing better than getting, having a friendship tested over long periods of time. Yeah. Um, you know, the old saying, it takes a long time to make an old friend. <laughs> Um, and one of the benefits of doing life together for a long time is you get to see the different seasons of life. Yeah. So um, when I say you're one of the best leaders I've ever been around in my whole life, and I've gotten to be around some great ones, uh, that's the context I need them to have. Mm -hmm. So that as we talk about something that I've seen you do probably as well or better than anybody else I've ever been around, you're the most empowering leader I have ever met. And, you know, Robert's talked about for years, abdication, the different, you know, mm -hmm. kind of buckets of empowerment. To me, you're the most balanced, empowering leader I have ever been around. So I have lots of questions. Uh, and I know sometimes we, we talk about personal stuff. We talk about relational stuff. Uh, but this is called the leader's cut. And you are a leader. And so I want you dialing in to the things that... God's going to speak through Todd because I'm just going to, I'm going to fire questions like crazy and try not to talk very much because I'm telling you, th this is an information that he has. He's going to impart something if you'll receive it. And those of you who know him, know I ain't lying. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let, let's start with, uh, in a conversation about being an empowering leader, let's talk about the antithesis of empowerment, micromanagement. <laughs> okay. Yep. Hate it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about the dangers yeah. for a moment of micromanaging because you could have been a micromanager. I mean, bro, you were at the top, like essentially everyone but Robert was was under your leadership. You could have been a micromanaging fiend, mm. but you never did. Yeah. So help me understand <laughs> why. What are the dangers of micromanagement? Yeah. <clears throat> so I think first off. Really, it's to me, you got to tie it back to what does the Bible have to say about empowerment? 
And and I think, it, and which really, if you think about the word empowerment, probably people would go, well, nothing. I don't find the word empowerment in the Bible anywhere. Um, but I, I can think of three examples that I, I want to highlight to then talk about the antithesis, mm-hmm. to talk about not. And it starts at the very beginning. Genesis one twenty seven. Think about all the ways God could choose to populate the world. <laughs> and he says, uh, Adam and Eve, I want you guys to be fruitful and multiply. Simple as that. Doesn't, doesn't give instruction. Doesn't tell how. And you think, you go, mm. well, yeah, of course, that's how it would. That was, imp- that was an mm. empowering statement. As, wow. as simple as it is, as much as we all know about how that was God. Because what could God have done? He could have been involved in every bit of the business. He could have, he could have created humans. Just kept going. But what did he do? He empowered. Okay, so now take it to the New Testament. What did Jesus do when it was time to birth the church? And he says to his disciples, <laughs> go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Great Commission, the most empowering statement to, to, to save the world, to, to birth the church, <laughs> Jesus empowers. So when, when you just look at those examples, I, I don't know that I need to set the, the, the case for the <laughs> biblical, you know, <laughs> you know well, does God really believe in empowering? Yes, he does. So, so then when you think about micromanaging, to me, what it, what it looks like is, and I don't think that this wells up within us as a, as a motivation. And I'm not saying at times I haven't been micromanaging. I think we all have that tendency. Why? Because it starts with control. Right. I've been given a responsibility. And with that responsibility, I feel like I have to make sure it's done right or done in the way that, that I would do it. And so what do I do? I micromanage. And I do that by keeping control. And when I keep control of something, built in there a little bit are a couple different tension points. Um, insecurity. Yeah. I want to keep control of it because there's some element of uh, I, I don't know that I'm okay to fully release because if I fully release, then I've actually given something that I might have been good at, uh, something that I was maybe getting some accolades on, right? So, so control can also stem from a place of pride. Mm. So when I micromanage, it also is saying, I don't know that uh, I really like releasing this because when I've done it and I've done it well, um, people say, hey, good job. Hey, you've done great at that. I, I, I see that. And you get all the sorts of praise. And so really what is, is coming at you is the ability to be humble and release something. So control is, is a huge, uh, huge piece. Um, fear. So if I'm, if I'm releasing something, you know, the idea of letting someone take uh, responsibility for something I've been given authority for. Uh, suddenly what wells up in me is the, how's this going to make me look? Cause I'm still connected to it. Cause I, we can talk about the, you know, when you, when you empower, it's not that you've abdicated your responsibility and authority, you're still connected to right. it. So how do you do that? Uh, but there's fear. So we're talking about leadership, but, but included within leadership is parenting. Right. Right. So when I think about, so we, we can make all sorts of back yep. and forth on empowerment because as a parent, how many times as I'm raising up my children, and now I have, you know, one one in her early twenties, one who's twenty, and one who's in, in her late teens. So I've been through the teenage years. Right. I've seen all the stuff that comes with teenage in, <laughs> and now the young adult years. And so, how do I make sure that I I can raise up my kids and I empower them with responsibility that I'm not micromanaging them, and in doing so, I've raised them up. So take that parenting idea and bring it back to the leadership and say, ultimately what I'm trying to do is develop people. 
And if I can develop people properly through empowerment, then to me, that is the key to organizational growth, being able to empower people, releasing them fully into every one of their giftings. And that's how you see growth happen. Yeah. You, I mean, you covered a lot of ground right there <laughs> and I, my mind is going 700 different directions. But one of the things I know to be true about you is you're not intimidated by the success of others. Right. And in order to be an empowering leader, you got to deal with the insecurity yep. and, and the enemy loves to try and create an insecure, uh, arena or atmosphere in our yep. hearts. Yeah. And you clearly nip that in the bud when you say, you know, I love developing people. That's, that's part of the heart of my, whether it's my kids, whether it's leaders, I love developing people. Well, there's a lot in that. But what it starts with is part of my motivation needs to be, here's how I'll know I in some way succeeded. I helped you to succeed possibly even more than I did when I was doing that thing. So how, how did you... No one just arrives there. Like, <laughs> how did you get to that? I can only give credit to my parents. So I want to unpack that a little bit more. <clears throat> but my, my, my dad used to always say to me, you're going to be a success at whatever you do. I'm behind mm -hmm. you 100%. And I, I want you to go farther than me. So there's a lot built within that of just the atmosphere of, of home life that I grew up in. And I know, I know not everyone grows up in that. So there's so much to be overcome in the kind of environment you grow up in. So I know I grew up in, a, in an environment that was just fertile right. with bringing development to life. But what that seeded in me was this idea that um, I, I, I want to keep growing. So the only way I'm going to keep growing is if I release stuff that I'm doing. Otherwise, I, I stall. Right. <laughs> and, and so the thought I always had was, well, if I'm going to grow, then I've got to take the responsibilities I have and be able to give that to someone else so I can do other things. And those people in their own development, they're, they're now you know, moving along as well, and they're taking something that is now new to them, and they're, they're growing in their own development. And, and that led me to a statement whenever I would talk about and I've talked about empowerment. That is, I will consider it a success when I have worked myself out of a job. Mm. The only way you do that is by empowering people. The other part that I've, I w have sort of created. I think a, you were too good at that, by the way, just so you know, <laughs> because I honestly believe you, you were so good at that at Gateway that, that it literally, like you were, you were almost flawless at working yourself out of a job. You had raised up such a great team that there, they were firing on all cylinders. They were raising up others, firing on all cylinders. Like some people say, when I've worked myself out of a job, but you actually, you've lived this. Like I watched you live yeah. this. Yeah. And, and I, the thing is, I love it. When I came to Gateway, uh, and so started my ministry life, I came as a business administrator that had a job description with four areas that were in the job description. And I asked, asked the, uh, the guy at the time who was hiring me, I said, who all's doing that now? He said, nobody. So you're gonna have to raise up people, develop a team and empower people to begin to build and grow. Well, what I knew is whenever I came into that job, I didn't intend to do right. just that job. Right. I wanted to grow and develop. And, and so I think an aspect is having a vision for your own life that says, mm. where, where, what has God put in me? I knew at 15 or 16 years old, and this was I mean, completely unspiritual. I just was looking in life and going, what do I want to do? I felt like I wanted to be the president of a company. Mm. That was, that's, that's like what I just had, or like, what Love does that it. look like? So then I went to college 
thinking that's what I'm being trained for and being equipped to do. And, and then went into a corporate job and was, was doing all that I felt like I needed to do to climb the corporate ladder. And, and, and I say that because I know that, has a, that sort of has a bad stigma to it. I, I look at, let me, let me put a spiritual thing to it. And I would say I was a spiritual opportunist. Hmm. And what I mean by that is I looked for the opportunities that God brought my way. And if I could say yes to him, I said yes. It's great. Now, what that looked like is in the corporate arena, I had different opportunities within the same company to go and move and do a different job. And it required moving. So there's a big sacrifice on, on Belinda and I because we were, we were married, newly married. We get established in a community a year later, a year later, boom, we're off to another community. So the spiritual opportunist in me uh, allowed for the development. Well, I looked at that in the way that this is an opportunity to fulfill what I feel like God's put in my heart to do, and that's to grow. Whether it meant to be president of a company or not, that was up to God what he would do. But my point was I had a vision for something beyond what I was doing. So I either had to change jobs, which early in my career, it did include that. Hey, do, do different stuff, create new opportunities. Or in what I'm doing, if I continue to stay in the area but grow it, the only way to grow it is to give something away. Right. Um, and so, and, and I, I gotta say, I mean, uh, pastor Robert is an incredibly empowering leader, yep. created that very much so. atmosphere yep. that I got to develop in as well. And so that allowed me to be able to see and go, what does that look like organizationally? And it wasn't just for him to be that way. It allowed me to right. go, okay, how does that apply in my job? Whose main charge was to execute vision to implement and so forth. Well, the only way you can begin to implement is that you raise up, develop people and release. And so built within the releasing is where the real crux of it is. What am I able to release uh, and feel comfortable with without feeling like I've completely abdicated and now lost control? And holding that intention is the really, uh, the real fine line. So when we talk about micromanagement, I think one of the reasons people micromanage is they think it's a good way to mitigate mistakes. Yeah. Right. So yep. I've, I've watched you, I've observed you for years. Um, and I saw leaders around you make mistakes like we all do. Uh, one of the things I love about you, because you were my direct oversight, you were my last direct oversight before I left Gateway. Uh, remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. You were my boss. Uh, and I didn't bat a thousand uh, as a campus pastor, and I'd never been one. We had stepped into um, a, a church that was going through difficulty was folding into gateway as part of the family and you guys had sent me out there yep. and uh not only had i not done it we had never done that before yep. and so i was bound to make a mistake every once in a while one of the things i loved about being under your leadership is you never freaked out mm. like you you never i felt empowered to take shots knowing i'm i was gonna miss a couple but i knew i was gonna make far more than i missed yep. And so talk to me about, you know, because I've been around micromanagers and they think the win is minimizing mistakes. But I would say the only way to minimize mistakes is to put up less shots. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, you had to be aware that that was the environment you were creating. Where did that come from? Was it your upbringing? This, it's always seemed like to me, you had no fear of mistakes. We're going to roll with it. We'll make it right. Where did all this come from, bro? (laughs) You know what's coming to my mind right now is uh, you remember back in the '80s? I think there was a show called Facts of Life. Oh yeah, you remember Facts of yeah, Life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was her name? Tootie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the song, the song though, the song was "You Take the Good, You Take the Bad, You Take Them Both." And there you have the facts of life. 
I would sing it, but I, I won't, I won't embarrass <laughs> I myself or you by me singing. Uh, but truly, like that's a that's a leadership application that I've hmm. embraced regarding people. You take the good, you take the bad. What you're trying to do in leadership is you're trying to maximize the good, minimize the bad. You're not trying to eliminate the bad. You can't pretend that it's not there. Or you can't say that because there is bad that that offsets the good. No, it's to me, it's on a scale. And so what I'm trying to do with any person is trying to raise up, the, maximize the good, what is the greatness of, of what God has put in them, but also recognize that none of us are perfect. And so in those imperfections, it's going to come out in certain ways. So how do I try to minimize those and, but not focus on those? I want to maximize the strengths. And um, I've just always been a, in a, a, a playing team sports. So you, where did this come from? Man, playing team sports, realizing I was a role player. I was never the star. I always had a role. Uh, and, and so out of that came an appreciation for roles. It came, it came an appreciation for, you know what? I, I was a guy who, who you put me on a scale athletically. The good outweighed the bad, but I had plenty of bad. Uh, and, but I wanted, I wanted coaches to see in me the good. And probably somewhere in there developed this idea that, you know what, if I can maximize the good and, and not, not ignore, work through, but really try to minimize and through, through development, I'm raising good, I'm minimizing the bad, then that allows people to reach their fullest potential. And, and again, because I was raised in a healthy home, again, I just, I emphasize, I recognize that. And I just, I, I say it publicly to thank God and to encourage people that if you do, weren't raised in a healthy home, you can create a, yep. a healthy environment. You can create a healthy home now. It can begin now. And the impact of that healthy environment will be generational. I'm speaking from a person who generationally got the benefit of a healthy environment. So out of that healthy environment allowed me to feel comfortable with other people who were successful and good mm -hmm. and, and had talent and abilities. And I re realized another key principle that, that my dad taught me that I embraced is I work for God. And God puts me under people in my development that uh, are my bosses or whatever the case is. He, would, he taught me that back when I was an athlete and head coach. And I'd come back and complain about a coach and he'd say, hey, listen, God's training you in this. So you're, you're working for God in the development of this. And so don't focus on the coach's negative. You, you work through these, these issues of your own training. Take it then into um, the work environment. And I would have bosses and complain about bosses and and just he would remind me and I was reminded just going, OK, Lord, you, you have a purpose in this bigger than me and bigger than that boss. And, and so out of that, I came this appreciation for I saw in myself, God's got something in me. So if and I want to get that worked out, I want to develop it. So how can I not turn around as as someone who then is given the responsibility as an under shepherd to see people and go, what is God doing in them and how can I give them opportunities that raise them up to allow them to all the gifts that are in them to be realized. And, you know, it's funny beginning the whole podcast talking about the golf game where I mentioned golf and my, my uh, love hate relationship with it. But actually I see leadership as a golf bag and, and I, as a leader am the golfer, right. And I've got a golf bag and let's just say that golf bag are made up of the people I oversee or I lead. Right. Well, the golf bag is made up of drivers, putters, all the irons, three wood, whatever. It's made up of a full, complete golf bag. I want to be the kind of leader who knows how to lead drivers. It's great. Lead putters. So great. No, when do I need my five iron? I don't use my putter on the tee. I don't use my driver on the green. 
when do I use? Now, some leaders, back to micromanagement, only know how to play with five irons. That's the only club in their bag. Right. And if you're not a five iron, you got to get out of my bag. Yep. And, uh, and it's because uh, for any number of reasons, it could be from insecurity to just training, right? right? Anywhere on, on the spectrum. Well, I always want to be the kind of leader to go, I, I might be a five iron and you're a driver. Well, I want to use every bit of driving gifts that right. you have. <laughs> and I got a person who's a putter and man, that, that lady who's a putter, man, you know, you drive for dough and you, or you drive for show, you put for dough. Hey, the putter. I don't for someone who hates golf, you seem to know a lot about golf. Well, I'm just throwing just because I hate it doesn't mean this I don't really know a lot good. about it. This yeah, is what's clearly. sad and scary about <laughs> about my golf game. Uh, and so I look at it and I go, man, the the reality of seeing people. So again, okay, we look at the Bible and we go, okay, what is Jesus? What's the theme of Jesus all throughout Scripture? And what is He showing us? Well, I look at it and I go, especially when we're talking about leadership, I go, what is Jesus teaching us about leadership? He is a leader. He's the preeminent example of leadership. Yep. So let's let's examine him and what that looks like from a leader's perspective. Well, he said, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are leadership principles. So how do I love God? Okay, I do that. I can do that privately. I can do that publicly. But then how do I love people? Well, that's going to be reflected in how I lead people. And if I see every person as a gift from God, that God has put talents in them and abilities, and, and, and they're working through all of their own humanity. Right. And God has given me the opportunity, for whatever reason, to steward them in a leadership capacity. What can I do to develop them and raise them up? That's truly what excites me as a leader. Okay, so what I hear you saying, the beginning of empowerment is knowing the gifts you have within arm's reach, the team that you're on. Uh, so whether they're a driver, a putter, and everything in between. So how does one become aware of the players on the team they're playing with, of their strengths, of their weaknesses or challenges they may present. What are some great <laughs> ways to organically yeah. or strategically better discern what you've got to work with? I haven't found it to be able to work any other way than having um, experiencing it be part of it. So training teaching, schooling, whatever you want. That's, that's of course, a part of it. So you're going to have the, the acumen that has to be developed sure. in, in training. But I, I've not seen how you can ever really realize that until you have someone do it. Do something that you can, part of the evaluation has to be, I've given them something to do, now I'm watching them do it, and now they're proving themselves to be successful at it or not. One of the things I hated as a young person uh, when talking to someone about a job or whatever, they're like, oh, you just don't have the experience. Oh, I just, I wish you had more experience. I'm like, well, who, who, who gives right. me this experience? Like, right. <laughs> how do I guess that get this experience that you speak of? And, uh, and so I think the opportunity, whether it be early on in someone's career or in a, in a job specifically as a leader, the opportunity that you have to be able to afford someone is the opportunity to get experience. And, because I believe when God looks down on his creation, he sees the potential in each one of us to develop. So I look at it and go, okay, now I don't have God's infinite wisdom, but I can look at people and go, well, I wonder if there's an opportunity to give them more hmm. and see if they can handle it. And then if they can, or even if they can't in the moment, what I'm looking for is, but is character being built in this moment that maybe they couldn't handle exactly what they've been given right now? 
But through the trial, through the perseverance, and maybe even the persecution they felt in this role or with this responsibility, actually what's being built is character. And the character is actually way more important than this competency over here. Mm. And if I can see this being grown and developed, then I can go, well, okay, now let's work on this competency because the character actually has been formed now. It's going to be able to handle this competency, but both are being developed. And so what I'm really looking for for first and foremost is the character that someone's so great being built in their life. And, and if I if I only look at the competency that is part of the role and responsibility, then I think I'm really missing what God's after. And I'm missing the real foundation that allows competency competency to be built later. Yeah. And I mean, we we've both seen it. Competence without character typically leads to a collapse exactly there is not that foundation that substructure to be able to uphold what god desires to do through the person that's right uh, that will require competency a yep. spirit of excellence yep. uh, a person's gift will make room for them but if if i focus so much on my gifting and my competencies my core competencies but not my character th- it's like building a house on the sand exactly and the other thing that you're you're you know is going to play out. I mean, I don't. I know we don't need to make much of a case for people having strong character, but ultimately, it's a house of cards that's being built. But the other thing is, people can succeed to a certain degree on competency alone, to a certain degree, and either or for a certain length of time. But ultimately, the character will right. catch up with them. They'll see a demise in their own health. It starts with self. They'll see a demise in their family, all relationships around them. And if someone finds themselves in that situation, you have a character issue. Right. Um, and so, but I think the ability to give someone, and this is where the micromanager, if you're a micromanager, the first place of release and growing is to simply do something that gives someone an opportunity to potentially fail. And that's the hardest part. Can I, can I actually have the grace mm. to allow someone the opportunity to fail? Because we, we know that, that, actually our growth comes from our failures right very seldom is it only just because of success right so we learn we grow we develop and so as a leader if i and now again you're not wanting to give someone an opportunity to fail and it could blow everything up sure so you got to be contained and you understand what you're doing but the, that opportunity is what will actually allow someone to grow and develop and then you can actually see is this someone worth empowering to a greater degree and as empowerment grows throughout an organization all ships rise. Yeah. Yeah. While you're talking, it, it reminds me of a moment I had with Robert. Uh, he, the only time he ever told me what to preach on uh, in the 20 years that I preached there, <laughs> it was one time and he said, we were driving in the truck together and he said, uh, I, I want you to preach on baptism uh, in two weekends. So it was like a week and a half. So it was the least amount of heads up he'd ever given me. <laughs> and it was the first time he was telling me what I had to preach. So we're riding this truck and, and I said, no, I'm not doing that. Like you, <laughs> you, I, I said, have you ever preached on baptism? Like a standalone message? Yeah. He said, no. I said, right. No, I'm not going to be the first one to cover this doctrinally. I, I run the risk of stepping in a hole and I just went, then he just listened, you know, and he's chuckling like he would. And when I was done, he, he said, are you finished? I said, maybe, but I don't know what you're about to say. <laughs> he said, Preston, there's not a hole you could get us into that God won't enable me to get us out of. Mm. And I, I was young 
it landed on me. Now we weren't talking about a sermon. We were talking about a, an appropriately created and controlled environment for me to possibly fail mm. at the highest level that I had access to at that point. And it ended up being one of my favorite messages that wow. God ever asked me to preach there because of what I learned. Yeah. It wasn't about baptism. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. okay, Preston, you're going to be in this situation years yeah. from now. And if you play it safe, I experienced so much growth, a massive mm. spurt of growth because of that 10 day period of time where Robert essentially said to me, Hey, maybe you do fail, but I want you to swing for the fences knowing I'll get up next week. And if you are in air, I'll make it right. And I won't embarrass you doing it. And I'm, I'm, it was a clinic, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. it, that is the opposite of control. Exactly. You know, and it's also the opposite of uh, abdicating for sure. So he, he, he knew he gave you a freedom, but also saying, Hey, God's going to fix it. Or if I need to step in to say something, right. I can do it. So that's very clearly providing a, a protection that, a, that you being empowered went, okay, I can, I, I feel the boundaries or lack thereof, but I know what you've given me to run with. You're covering me. Right. And that to me is the, the good leader that who's going to go, Listen, I'm not just giving you something because either one, I'm really tired of dealing with it, right? Or you know, I'm 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 I want to challenge you to a place where I think you're going to fail, and, and I'm right I'm intentionally intentionally right. making you fail. Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you and allow every bit of creativity that's in you. That's what I think about it. I go, man, as a, all of us. I mean, I want to be given the opportunity to say what what does God really have in me, and it's untested, and it 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 needs to be poked on it needs to be you know maybe even uh, allow a little bit of my to deal with my own fear and insecurity of what can i really do well when you've been given empowerment the testing happens yep yeah it's a safe place to be empowered is i think crucial in any great leader's growth path creating the atmosphere is huge the, the leader has to create the atmosphere for empowerment to happen. And the only way they're going to create that atmosphere is one, by being somewhat present. You can't just completely be gone. So the presence matters, mm. uh, but it's also inviting feedback. If you tell someone they're empowered and you've given them authority and, and responsibility to do that, but then you never really tell them how they're doing, right. give them feedback to grow, actually look at it as a development opportunity. There's one thing about a person that when they show themselves to be teachable, those are the kind of people you want to empower. But the question for the leader is, are you a teacher? Mm. So have you just thrown a responsibility because you just decided, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And now you throw it over to a right. person and say, hey, you're empowered to do that. But then you never give feedback. You never go back to them and tell them what they could have done better or, you know, or, or just tell them, hey, you've done fantastic. Just a little bit of feedback. You'd be, you'd be shocked as a leader how much just one little drop of encouragement can just ca cause some, the, 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 the development of someone to bloom. Mm. Uh, just one little bit, one encouraging word. And how many people kind of forget to do that? Um, it, it makes me think of this distinction that I, I want to make between what I think a lot of people view delegation as empowerment. And I want to highlight the difference between the two. So, so if you think about, uh, let's just call power kind of on this line right here, okay? And I'm, when I say power, I mean the authority, responsibility mm -hmm. that someone's been given. 
What delegation does is delegation goes, hey, so I need you to, to do this. Hey, I need you to take care of this. Hey, and it's sort of divvying out tasks or even maybe responsibilities, but the power stayed here. And how do you know the power stayed here? What are the questions people are bringing back up to you? Hey, can I do this? Hey, we were thinking about doing that. Can you approve this? Mm. Those are the kind of questions that come back and you're delegating. Now, I've heard some people uh, at times almost use synonymously delegation and empowerment, delegation, empowerment, totally different things. So that's an example of delegation. And what happens with that is the, the authority, the power never went anywhere else. It stayed right here with you and you delegated and you sent out these tasks over here, empowerment. And you say, I want to empower someone. And what happens when you truly empower, you move up a level. Hmm. And what stays here is that power right. or that That's authority. Great. And so now the decisions are made at that place. And now how do you know that you've empowered? What are the kind of questions? Over delegation, you had questions of can I, what, how. It's over here. Now you've gone up. So you still have sort of an oversight over that. But what kind of questions do you get from here to here? Now you're getting, hey, can you tell me, uh, give me a little bit more of the vision of why we do this. Let me, hey, can I can I hear your heart on why it's done this way? See, the questions still exist. They're going to be there. It's the yeah. different kinds it's of totally questions. different questions. Totally different questions. And so now you can tell you've truly left the power there because the people who are asking now they may have to be delegating out beyond there. But what happened is it just allowed you the opportunity to go up a level to see the organization, see your family from a different altitude. And uh, ultimately, if we're leaders who are being led by Jesus, gives us the opportunity to get out of the weeds a little bit more and go, Lord, what are you saying right now? How, how can I hear, God, what it is that you're wanting to do in the organization and my family? And because I've empowered to this level, I'm able to get above the fray a little bit more. So when we talk about empowering leaders, you're already starting to talk about what must be present in the soil of an empowering leader. Um, give me the in your mind, these are the non-negotiables. The most empowering leaders are these things. So you've already talked about, you gotta have room to fail. You've talked about giving feedback, um, both positive and constructive. What are some of the other elements that, that must exist if I'm going to be the most empowering leader that I can be? You have to have some element of uh, trustfulness. So people we empower, we want them to be trustworthy. But a leader has to have some element of trustfulness. Like in other words, I'm tr I'm, I, I, I trust and I, I release the responsibility and I'm trusting you. Because sort of going with a lack of trust is the control issues. So if I struggle with control, I'm not trusting other people. I'm not trusting to release things because I don't trust it's going to be done the way I'd want to do it. Mm -hmm. All the things that we already kind of talked about related to trust. So I have to have a, a degree of trustfulness. I also have to be willing to exhibit grace um, because we know failure is likely to happen. Now, maybe not all out failure, some element of failure, they're going to do something wrong. And if I don't have uh, an attitude of grace, then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come down heavy handed on somebody. Right. I'm gonna squash whatever was being developed and the words or, or the actions that I did to empower, I could actually erode in multiple fold by the words that I say that come back that show a lack of grace uh, or maybe even more so exhibit that I knew you'd fail. So you begin to speak those kind of words and it all is in the verbal response. Um, so I think when somebody uh, as a leader is not able to look past 
the situation itself and see the opportunity of development. This mm -hmm. goes back to the people development side. And it's like, man, there's so much that built in within a leader's responsibility is to get out a little bit out of what exactly we're talking about. So great. And see the bigger picture. Right. It's the idea of seeing the forest through all the trees. Yeah. And, and so being able to step back for a moment and go, okay, I've empowered this situation and I've got grace to let that situation potentially have a problem or whatever, because I see the bigger picture. Right. The bigger picture is I see something in you that's worth investing in, worth being developed. And I'm focused on that. And the byproduct, we can that's work great. on that. That's great. I, what I hear you saying is an empowering leader doesn't have tunnel vision for today. Exactly. They have a perspective of many tomorrows. That's right. They have the long game the long in game. mind. And it's not the whole thing's going to crash down if they mess up today. It's more, hey, there are many tomorrows. Exactly. Let's mine the gold out of what transpired today. And that, that just creates that environment of putting up lots of shots. Putting up lots of shots. The other, the other part of that I want to think about this, and this is, it's a little bit, there's more to say on this, not related to empowerment, but it just made me think about it because when, when thinking about empowering people, I heard, I heard this talk and this guy said, there's four different levels of people. There's people that when you get around and you begin to talk about things, you talk about people. There's a second level of people when you get together and you talk, you talk about events. Third level of people, when you get together, you talk about ideas. But the fourth level is you talk about the execution of ideas. Now, how I connect that into uh, empowerment is when, when I'm looking at a person and thinking about how are they growing and developing, uh, I want to know the ideas that come in. How are they thinking to actually accomplish those things and get those things done? So I come from a perspective as a leader my bent isn't to be a visionary leader. I'm an executing leader hmm. now. So, so a lot, lot of different leadership types. There's visionaries, and I, I've, I think I've coined a term. Your audience can tell <laughs> if they've heard this before. But I like to say that I'm an executionary. I'm an executing visionary, hmm. meaning I get Love vision it. for how to execute ideas. Love it. Uh, and so, when the executionary begins to activate inside of me, I'm thinking about the execution of ideas. And the first thing I think about is who? Who can get this done? Mm. How do we get this done? The, the answer to the how is the who. who. And the only way we're going to get something done is, and I, I go, you got to build teams, you got to develop leaders. And so, for, for a person who is thinking about your fourth level leader, you're thinking about the execution of ideas. The only way you're going to do that is to be able to identify the people that are going to be able to get that done. And in most organizations or most startups or wherever, it's very unlikely you're going to be surrounded by top level leaders. So you're going to have to develop people. Well, the only way you can develop people is by giving them opportunities yep. to succeed. And built within that is going to be failure. And so in the long, in the long run, I've, what I've seen that God does is he brings people around that allows you to de uh, develop them, give them opportunities, they grow and develop. But all of us were on a journey. And, and so sometimes that journey, they intersect and they're in our life for a period of time. And so the question is, and this is a, such a huge leadership question to me, what has God put someone in my life for me to steward today? They may not be the long-term solution. They may not be with me forever. So the question is, if I'm a believer and I really am thinking God's at work in me and he's at work in them, then God, why have you brought this person mm -hmm. into my world? 
I see their strengths. I see their weaknesses. How can they be used? And then I seek to develop that. And, and then I hold it open-handed because there's at some point which God may go, great, I've used you as a leader in their life as long as I can. Now I'm moving them to something else or I'm moving you to something else or bringing someone else for you to, to, uh, to, to develop or someone to fulfill the role that is needed to execute that idea. Uh, but one of the ways that that um, is prevented or prohibited from happening is if a leader doesn't give themselves enough margin to be able to see that. So in other words, whether you're growing an organization or wherever you are in the life cycle of an organization, things are going. You got to make decisions. You got to do things. And so you empower somebody. Hey, get, they're given a responsibility and maybe even enough time that you're, and you haven't completely abdicated. You're still connected to it. But have you really given yourself as a leader enough margin to be able to go, okay, I'm going to need to coach this person a little bit more, or I'm able to to not just give them feedback in the moment, but now I'm thinking now a year down the road. I'm thinking three years down yep. the road. I'm, I'm, I've given myself enough margin to be able to do that because now I can see that person and I can begin to work uh, within them to go, maybe God is doing something else in them. And if I give myself as a leader enough margin, then what I'm able to do is it's they're not surprised and I'm not surprised when it comes to an end. Uh, because now, because I've been guiding along the way right. and I've been elevated at enough level to be able to go, okay, I see that God's doing something different. And because I'm not just in the daily grind all day long, goes back to the empowerment. I'm, I'm operating at a different altitude. I'm able to now see that the people who are working with me, here's what God is doing in their life. And uh, I think that's one of the hardest things to do as a leader is to keep yourself separated enough. And I don't mean relationally separated, but separated enough from the daily grind so that you can watch the empowerment that you've given someone, but actually be able to say, this is how far it's gone. And maybe it's time to do something new or do something different. Okay. So since I've got you and, and we could talk about empowerment <laughs> all day long, uh, one of the things we love to do. So whether I'm with Timmy, Cody and I did it a while back. Uh, I love like a big brother to give away cheat codes mm. and because it, being an empowering leader is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is you're just probably better at it than anybody I know. What are some of the things, I mean, you, you lead and have led at a very high level for years, um, without a fall, without a stumble. Uh, of course, none of us are perfect, but you clearly have put some things in place that helped you to be able to not only navigate, but steward at a very high level what God was asking you to do at a very high level. So what are some of the, so clearly you, you adopted the perspective, God is an empowering God, mm. the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just ask us to do things, he empowers us mm. to do things that he asks us to do. But what are some of the other things that, yeah. that were crucial to you leading in a manner that was pleasing to God in such a way that he just kept giving you more and more oil, no matter how high you climbed. Um, I love people. <laughs> I love people. And um, my, my sort of leadership philosophy is built on do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. As a leader, I think in, in how I'm leading people, what I wanna be led that way, 
what what I want to to the atmosphere I create, what I want to be under that atmosphere, mm. the way in which I bring myself into a conversation, what I want to be a part of a conversation like that. I mean, truly, I think what would I enjoy? I w- I'm a, the kind of person who wants to get stuff done. I want to implement great things and do have big ideas and see big things done for God and the purpose of my life revealed. So if I want that, then what kind of environment would I want to work under? <laughs> and so I think about that for the people that I lead. What would, how would I communicate to them? Mm. What kind of fun would I want to have? Uh, all of those kind of dynamics that I go, if I would want that, then I want to help create that. Yeah. Um, and so, so part of it is thinking that way. So that's philosophically. Let's start, yep. start with that. Philosophically, I want to do unto others as I would want them to do to me. Full stop as a leader. So how would I do that? The second thing is um, one of the the questions that I heard raised, and I wish I could give credit where the first place I heard it because that did, did not start with me. But it's a great, it's, a, it's just one question that helps me know when I'm leading people and I've empowered them. Um, and, and here's the question. What do you know that I need to know? <laughs> okay, That's great. So, so because if I think I got to know everything you know, boom, I'm a micromanager. So the question is, I oversee teams of people. What do you know that I need to know? So that leads me to the kind of questions that I ask, the, the, the way our oversight meetings are structured, because I can't know everything right. that you know. Right. Otherwise, I have, otherwise, I haven't so empowered great, you. So great, bro. This so, is great. So then I got to get down into it and go, I got to really sit and think about you and your area. And, and I go, what do you know that I need to know? And, and once I do that, then on a very practical level, you got to begin to build systems to get that information because it, it may be data. Mm-hmm. It may be, hey, I need to know how your team's doing. I need to know how this is going. And, and that data matters. So great. I got to create systems to allow that data to flow up to me that can actually limit, uh, eliminate me needing to ask you that question because I got the data. Now, really, because I got the data and I figured out what you know that I need to know, now what I can focus on is how are you? Mm. Because now I want to know your heart. So great. I want to know how you are doing and how you're, I want to know how your family. I mean, these are things that can feel very squishy to people who are in the corporate world. Right. Like, really? You're talking about how your heart, you're talking about, you know, I want to know how your family's doing. Absolutely. You know why people are dying? You know, why suicide rates are high. You know why corporate leaders are wanting to get out of their business and pastors burn out. You know why? Because someone didn't care about their heart. Ooh. And so once you care about someone's heart, now you've actually gotten to the real soil of what has caused them to be who they are. And the outflow of that is going to be the data that you're getting, good results, all that kind of stuff's going to come your way. And, and I'm saying you need to build systems to know that so that the relational connection I have with you is really where the real meat is. Bro, I mean, that, that right there, you, I mean, you just literally described a fantastic oversight rhythm. Data is not a means to an organizational end. It's actually, if we can check all of these boxes, now we can both shift yes. our brains and our hearts and go, okay, my heart and my hands are what will be executing yep. whatever I execute based on the data and what the story it just told us. So we're going to cover all that. But now, how are you? Exactly. Where are you? Yep. That, I mean, that is a, and you've embodied that. I mean, you, you make people... You don't make them feel it. You help them understand. You matter. You're not just important to our organization. You're important to me. And I don't see you as someone who is accomplishing tasks uh, and driving up positive data and results. You're a human. And we're in this together. 
and you matter to me. And I care about you even more than I care about all the data. The data is important. The results are important. All that matters, but not at the expense of you. That, bro, you, that is a clinic you just put on. Well, and here's a great thing is that applies no matter if you're a parent watching and you don't lead any organization, but you're a parent. Why does that matter? Relationship. So, so one of the statements I got from my dad uh, about discipline was you only want to discipline to the level you have a relationship. Mm. Otherwise, you create rebellion. Ooh. And so building the relational side of it allows you access into the heart. It's all about the heart. Access into the heart of a child that then you can begin to build correction and so forth. When you don't have that relationship, but you try to enforce strong discipline and correction, it's like falling on hard soil. And so the discipline comes and it falls off because the kid's not interested. They don't want any part of it because you've done nothing to build relationship. Okay, now take that same concept, go into the corporate environment. And I think about this when I think, because I think it's a may, maybe a more natural thing uh, in the church world to sort of speak right. this kind of way. Sure. Um, but I, th what I am seeing the trends in corporate speak of folks who are out there doing corporate trainings and so forth is somehow we've forgotten about the heart mm -hmm. and we've forgotten what it is that actually makes organizations successful. Obviously it's the people. And, and so if you are growing your organization on the backs of people and not caring that the end, there was a means to that end. And the means to the end of corporate success, bottom line profits, were people whose families are now destroyed, marriages are destroyed, uh, then you've completely missed the point. Now, obviously, we know that as believers, but we're even seeing that in the secular world. They recognize it. not They don't even recognize the spiritual side of it. They recognize the impact actually on their business. And, uh, and so it's all about connecting to the heart. You can see that as a parent. You can see that in an organization. A healthier heart will always produce greater results than an unhealthy heart. Yep. None of us can see the board clearly when, when we've got yep. the junk going on. And sometimes it just takes someone, even in a position of authority, to say, hey, let's, let's talk about you. Yeah. Let's, yep. let's, I've been noticing some things, not taking any shot. Hey, how are you? Where are you at? I know it's been a rough couple of months. How are you navigating this? And I think when when we're talking about me, not just my responsibilities or my performance, you're creating an even more trustworthy environment. Your trustfulness. I, I trust you more mm. as you pursue me more. That's right. Because you're, you're not relegating me to an employee. You're value, valuing me as a human. Yes. And I, to your point, I think it would be tragic if people in, in the business world uh, as though a church weren't a business entity, which, but I understand, right. you know, uh, many out in the business world, the secular world uh, can, can look down upon the church because we haven't always had the highest standard of excellence. I get it. But it does not mean just because the church does something that the secular world shouldn't do it. There are biblical principles and caring for the person is one of them. Yep. And if we didn't learn anything going through COVID as organizations, buddy, <laughs> the production yep. of work is going to be subpar as long as someone is not in a good place yep. and they'll remain in a bad place if we don't make room for them yep. to be honest about where they're at and go, hey, Holly and I, we say it like this. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me where you are today. Just don't stay there. Don't be there tomorrow. Mm. This is a safe place to say, hey, I'm not in a good place today. Yep. Okay, great. Yep. Tell me all about it. 
Tell me what you're feeling about it. Tell me how you're seeing it. And then let's talk about how do we move beyond? Yes. How do we keep going? Yep. What do you need? And I, I mean, bro, you are. Well, cre- I mean, that goes back to creating that atmosphere. I think um, the more that can be created and all every level, I mean, obviously most organizations have multiple levels. And so you've got leaders of, of people, then you got leaders of teams, you got leaders of leaders all along the way. Um, and, and what's necessary at every point in there is creating an atmosphere to have that conversation and then being willing to be vulnerable. And I think part of what is required in an empowering relationship is vulnerability. Mm. And I've, I've heard it said this way, um, cause again, in the same way that, uh, delegation and empowerment are somewhat used interchangeably, but they're totally different transparency and vulnerability used sort of similar, similarly as well. Uh, to me, transparency, and again, someone probably made this definition up, but I've embraced it. Now it's my own. Uh, transparency is me telling you something I want you to know. Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard day. That's transparent. Vulnerability is me telling you something that you could turn around and hurt me with. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm having a bad day because uh, on the way into work, um, I was speeding, got uh, pulled over, and I uh, actually got verbally abusive with the police officer. And uh, I got multiple tickets. <laughs> That's a bad day. I was transparent with you. Right. Got down and you know what? Because now when I got vulnerable, you can go, whoa, okay, let's talk about that. Why are you at that place that that's how you're responding? You know, but that atmosphere right. of vulnerability was what was required to get there. Yeah. Um, and, but it all goes back to creating that space. And I, again, I go, the, the margin word to me is a huge, a huge dynamic when being able to affect the kind of space I leave for the relational connection that's needed and the ability for me as a leader to create the environment and the space to then address it. If I'm only focused on the data, the task at hand, I've now turned our relationship into a transaction. Right. Our relationships, our relationship exists for a transactional benefit. Yep. And the reality of it is um, it's only going to be transactional then as opposed to turning it into we have transactions that exist, but they exist because we have relationship first. Yeah. Um, and so that's that to me is what how empowerment is wrapped up. When you talk about the difference between transparency and vulnerability, when you're transparent, with me i'm being enabled to know something but when you're vulnerable with me with me i'm being empowered to help you carry something mm. yes there's a big difference yep. between transparency and vulnerability exactly transparency oh I, i'm you're enabling enabling me to be aware of something right vulnerability you're asking me to help carry this that's right and i could turn around as a weapon yes or I could get beneath that yoke with you yep. and carry it together and, until you feel you get through it. And that is something I guarantee you, if we polled the people you have directly led all these years, I would bet everything to my name. This is the way they would describe you. Mm. This, it, you've just, you are that man. Mm. I mean, it, it's, these are not things you talk about. These are things you are. Mm. And I think. I hope so. That's, that's what I try to be. <laughs> that is an essential element of being an empowering leader that people follow and want to follow. You live it. You don't just expect it. You live. So when you say, well, what kind of an environment would I want? What, what would I want if, if the shoe were running the foot? Yes, that's important. But it says, though, you've also said, yeah, but what, 
what kind of leader must I be to be able to attract and steward the leaders God is desiring I run with and be surrounded by in order to build all God put me on the earth to build? And one of the answers to that question is, it can't be talk. It's, I have to be the embodiment of the burdens God has put within me to lead others to walk in. Exactly. And, and in that light, if, if you want to be a leader that attracts high-level leaders, high-level leaders will not be attracted to someone who is not empowering because they have high-level leadership ability in them. And if they're not in an environment where they will be able to lead, they're not going to be there. Right. So if a leader looks around and goes, I just can't, I can't seem to draw leaders. I can't seem to get, well, maybe check the way in which your empowerment level is. And that might reflect that you're not empowering in a way that you want to because leaders aren't attracted to that. Yeah. Yeah. And n- nobody good worth their hire, <laughs> worthy of their hire, wants to be micromanaged. Right. And if you do, I, you're pl- to me, you're playing at a much lower level than you could be playing. That's it. At. That's it. So, uh, yeah. I look at it and go, not everybody is actually built to be a leader. Right. So, great. So, if that's the case, just recognize it. You want to be, you want to be delegated to. No problem. Right. Yeah. And if you're a delegator, no problem. Sometimes you need it. Just recognize, to me, one of the biggest uh, tension points that creates problems organizationally is when a leader says they're empowering, mm. but they're actually a delegator. <laughs> and they're, they're like, man, I just can't keep, they keep, you know, so-and-so won't do such and such. And I keep telling them to do, and what you, then you go talk to that person. They're like, well, I, no, I keep trying to do it. And then they keep right. stepping in and da-da-da. And you realize this, here, here it is. You gave me the task, but not the power to pull it not off. Not the power to do it. And okay. so I have to keep coming back to you to get the okay, yep. because I don't actually have the power. You you gave me the task, but you kept the power to yep. pull it off. Yep, exactly. That's miserable, bro. It, I, don't want, it I don't want anything I, to I, do with that. I never wanted, as it goes back to why, why do I lead that way? I never wanted someone to do right. that to me, so I don't want to do that to someone else. And the great thing about it is when you are a leader who truly can embrace being an empowering leader, the opportunity it gives you is to celebrate people. You get to celebrate the wins. You get to have joy in watching people raise and come up. And, and that's the thing I always admired. Another thing, now I do remember who said this. I think it was Andy Stanley. He said, if you want to know what a great leader would do, then ask yourself this question. What would a great leader do in this situation? Mm. <laughs> I thought it was such great. It was like the question, what, wait, right. what? <laughs> yeah. But when you really think about it, you go, well, what's a great leader? When you think of a great leader, who do you think of? And you think of that person, you go, okay, in that situation, and maybe I just may be making it up, but I think they would do this. Right. Then, then, and when I would look around and I, and I would watch people who I thought were great leaders and I saw them celebrate other people, mm. I went, I want to be like that. What, what great joy it is to celebrate other people. Uh, and if uh, that's a, a recipe, that's a piece of the recipe to being an empowering leader is getting joy out of celebrating the wins of other people. You do that as well as anybody. You celebrate the wins of other people. You get joy out of watching people raised up and, and empowered and, and leading and, and all the success. Uh, I think that's a key, a key dynamic to, some, to a leader being able to be empowering. Yeah, but I was not the one who created the culture of tell me something good. that was was you bro yeah that was you and and the team everybody loves to hear good things Uh, clearly (laughs) and and then you celebrate i mean that's again this is who you are and and whether i'm thinking about my sons whether i'm thinking about spiritual sons or younger brothers or sisters uh i want an impartation of this Mm. i i don't want to just learn from you 
you know, the, the slowest way to get somewhere is merely to learn it. But when we have access to the God of the universe, mm. the way in which we do, yeah. there is a faster way to get somewhere. <laughs> Impartation. Yeah. For it to be imparted, mm. Elijah, Elisha. I mean, get somewhere twice as fast with twice the anointing. I mean, it, it, it <laughs> yeah. and so I hope that as people have joined us today, that they didn't just pick up on information because mm. that, while there has been some incredible information dispensed, what is far more important than the information that came out of your mouth is the oil of heaven on your life mm. to be the embodiment of these things. Mm. And I want to be a better leader. Mm. And when I'm around you, I become, I, I'm, you're helping me be a better leader all the time. And just you. whether you're teaching me something or whether I'm just watching you do what you do. Mm. Uh, and that's, I love learning, but I love being able to be close enough where I can get an impartation, mm. where it hits me in my soul. And I say, you know what? I'm, I am taking that. Mm. I'm taking what I just heard and I'm going to make it a part of who I am. Mm. And Paul did it with Timothy. Yeah. So I think it would be great to end this episode with you praying a prayer um, that in, in some ways an impartational prayer because mm. we've got lots of great leaders who run with us mm. uh, that I would love to see divinely enabled the same way you've been to lead people mm. in a way that honors God. Mm. So would you just pray over us as we wrap up? I would love to. Well, I'm going to lean in <laughs> and, and talk to the leader out there who maybe you heard something new today uh, about what empowerment really looks like and it's challenged you and you're going, oh, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Or you're, you're saying, man, there's, there's something today that um, I've got this exact situation I'm dealing with and I don't know that I can empower this person. Well, maybe the Lord's telling you today it might be about them, but it actually might be about you. Um, so maybe you're a parent today. We, we touched on parenting a little bit, but there might be something in your child that you're getting some sense of rebellion. And what it actually might be is try empowering them for a second. Mm -hmm. Don't take your you know gaze off of them and you're still providing parenting to them, but give them just a little bit more that shows them, hey, I trust you. And in that empowerment, you might see the relationship begin to develop in a way that you've been missing. So let, me, let me pray. God, thank you, Lord, that first and foremost, you are an empowering God. And thank you that we can see that all throughout Scripture and, and built within empowerment is you, you, you left some risk. Um, and Lord, and yet you left an opportunity for redemption. And we thank you for that, Lord, that in that redemption and you restored us to right standing with you through Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for uh, the talk that Preston and I had today. God, I thank you for uh, the work that you are doing in each of our lives. And everyone tuning in today, God, I just pray right now, Lord, you know where each of us are. As a leader, as a parent, whatever role that we play, God, I thank you that you see us. You know what we're dealing with today. And so, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that as I'm speaking, Lord, whatever impartation I have to give, Lord, that you would help the fathers and mothers. You'd help the business leaders. You'd help the, the church planter. Lord, you'd help the, the person on a church staff. You'd help the worship leader. You'd help the youth pastor. You'd help the volunteer. Lord, everyone who is looking to understand leadership, and in this case, understand empowering God. I just pray blessing. I pray an impartation, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit today would do what they've been seeking to do in all the different ways of, of their, 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 their mind can think of to do, Lord, that today your spirit would breathe on their situation or bring on, breathe on their lives. 
And Lord, you would bring your empowering spirit onto each of us. Lord, I thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for the talk that we've got to have today. I pray your blessing on all those listening today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Savage. I love talking with my friends that God has anointed uh, for such wonderful things. And I'd say this, listen, as you endeavor uh, to become a more empowering leader, you can't be a controlling leader and be empowering. You obviously picked up on that today. But I believe the more empowering a leader you endeavor to be, the greater the measure of leaders God will surround you with and send to you because he can trust you not to squeeze the life out of them, Mm. not to become a leash to them, not to be a know-it-all to them, but to be a trustworthy, empowering leader, leader looking for others to win, to celebrate those wins, to be there for in difficult times, to help navigate matters of the heart. We covered so much ground and it's a high, high bar to set, but it's one of the things about I love the people God's let me run with because they all set a very, very high bar. This is a high bar to set, but I'm telling you, if you allow God to divinely enable you to do it, we can all do it and we can do it together and we will lead people the way he wants us to lead them. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I love you, love you, love you so much. And I can't wait to talk to you next time. See you next week.